So for us, we're going to be uh, continuing in our series on the parables. Uh, and uh, remember that the parables speak much about the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God it has come and is growing. Uh, how to enter the kingdom of, of God. And this time, this aspect or this uh, part of these uh, parables that we've been looking at is the idea of how our... How are we to live forward-looking of the, of the kingdom of God? That it's not just all here, it's not just all future, uh, it's both here and our future hope. And so what does it look like uh, for us to live as God's people now, awaiting the fulfillment of the kingdom, yet having it not just be a future thing? Uh, and so we're going to look at that, we're going to start Actually, I, I originally thought we would start in 44, but we're going to start in verse 42 of Matthew 24. Uh, and uh, so if you would uh, stand with me, this is God's word. We stand because this shows our submission to his word, that he speaks, and we long to hear from him. So Matthew 24, starting in verse 42, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Who then? is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, the master, will set him, the servant, over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed and they all came, became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there, was not, uh, there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's pray. 
Father, these are sobering words. So would you, uh, by your spirit, open our eyes. Father, I pray for those in this room who have never truly heard what this passage is talking about. God, I pray, God, by the power of the spirit that you will give ears to hear that today would be the day of salvation. Father, for those of us who have responded, who you've opened our eyes, not our own wisdom, but your power, God, I pray that you would impress on us what it is to live watching in waiting in readiness and expectancy of your return. God, I pray that we wouldn't be a complacent people, and I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So back in the 1960s, a Stanford professor uh, named William Mitchell, uh, he conducted a series of psychological studies. And uh, this, this st- a series of studies uh, has become uh, known as uh, the, marshmallow, uh, the Marshmallow Experiment. Uh, and during his experiment, he basically tested hundreds of children, ages four and five. He would bring them in uh, with one researcher, or one at a time. And they would sit them down at a table, and the researcher would explain and basically offer them a deal. He would put a marshmallow on the table and say, hey, uh, if you don't eat the marshmallow, uh, I will come back and give you a second marshmallow. So the deal was pretty simple. You can eat the marshmallow now and have one, or wait a little bit and have two. And, uh, and then the researcher would leave the room for 15 minutes. Uh, and, you know, you could just imagine kids just going just crazy in the room by themselves. Like, do I eat the marshmallow? Do I not? You know, doing headstands and all the stuff. And, and, you know, some kids, of course, just devoured it right when the guy left the room. Others kind of waited and, you know, of course, would get that second marshmallow. Well, years later, this, this study was actually published, uh, and what is wild is that they, they followed these children over decades. They followed these particular kids for 40 years. Uh, and, and so, you know, what kind of triggered, would they take the marshmallow or not, was interesting, but what flowed from the follow-up research was staggering, that those who were willing to wait for the second marshmallow in a sense, uh, they would delay their enjoyment or pleasure till later. If they were the ones, the ones that waited had higher SAT scores, lower levels of substance abuse, lower likelihood of obesity, a better response to stress, better social skills, uh, and generally better scores in a range of other life measures, one article recounted. Over and over and over again, the ones that were willing to not eat it at first, but wait, they outscored uh, the others and succeeded in whatever they put their mind to. What does that say about our world? Basically, that the ability to delay gratification is somehow essential to success in this life, and I would even say in the life to come as well. Because Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is teaching on what is going to happen. Not what is happening now, but what will happen in the future. This is called the Olivet Discourse. There is tons of literature written on these particular two chapters, 24 and 25, 
And it's because it's about the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. But it also gives uh, kind of a precursor of what will happen before that. And so Jesus basically teaches on delayed gratification. Because he will return, but before he does, his people will endure great suffering before that happens. Now, a lot of people say this is very mysterious uh, in what is taught in chapters 24 and 25. But I think Jesus knew that people were going to take these chapters and make them so confusing that we would just avoid them. He actually says this in 24 verse, verse 4, see that no one leads you astray. Because a lot of people are going to show up and say they're the Christ and say he's out in the desert, he's up in the mountain, go find him. And he says, just ignore him. I didn't come back. You know, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and all these different things. And, and you're going to see all of this happening. Yep. Jesus' point is don't think you'll miss my return. It is going to be so obvious that you will not miss it. He will show up. It will be obvious. People that know him will rejoice. People that don't know him will weep. He will come with a flash of lightning, and everybody will see him in the clouds. Be like, hey, am I going to miss Jesus? No. He came in obscurity in his first coming, a little baby to a peasant couple who weren't married, who were outcast in a manger. He came in obscurity the first time. He is going to come with power the second. So don't think for a second that we got to look under a rock to find Jesus when he returns. Everybody will know it. And, then, and so in that context, he's saying, I'm coming back, but the trick is when? Well, God's people for centuries have been asking that question. When will Jesus return? And so Jesus is teaching on this idea, and he gives a series of parables. We're going to look at two of them. Uh, we read one of the evil and wicked servants, the other of the ten virgins, um, or the ten bridesmaids. Those who are not married, uh, those bridesmaids waiting uh, and to attend to uh, the wedding of their friend. And so in all of this, we see that we live, basically to live in the kingdom of God is to live a life of not knowing but trusting. You could say that's the life of faith, too. That we don't know how things are going to play out exactly. Jesus gives us the end of the story. We don't know the particular plan that God has for our days. We don't know all of these things, yet we trust. That's the life of faith. It comes to what will tomorrow hold for you and your family? We don't know, but we trust. It also pertains to eternity. What will eternity look like? We don't know exactly. Jesus gives us pictures and stories, but we trust. We don't know when it will happen, but we trust. We don't know how exactly God's going to bring these things about, but we trust. Verse 44 of 24 is, the Lord is coming. Uh, verse 42, your Lord is coming. There's certainty. This is not up for debate. He is coming back. The when is where it gets interesting. And as you, as you heard the verses that we read, see, listen to these phrases. You know, chapter 24, verse 44. 
He's coming at an hour that you do not expect. Verse 50, he will come on a day when he does not, uh, when the servant does not expect him, and an hour that he does not know. 25 verse 13, you know neither the day nor the hour. 24 36, earlier before our passage, uh, the day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, while Jesus was on earth, but the Father only. 24 39, they were unaware, speaking of the people uh, in Noah's day, like the return of Jesus will be like the flood that falls on the people. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. What is Jesus basically saying to us? Is you don't know. The Father does. You don't know, but that's the life of faith. And that is unnerving to most people. I'm not going to believe unless I know it fully. And basically, if that's your stance, you'll be outside of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom is being revealed, but not fully revealed. We don't know everything, and the beauty of the life of faith is we serve a God who does. It's wild to think that this is the close of the book of Revelation as well. In Revelation 22, this is what Jesus closes with. Hear the repetition. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. That's verse 7. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Verse 20, he testifies to these things. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. And then the, the prayer that closes uh, the last prayer of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. In a sense, surely I'm coming. That it ought to uh, cause us to expect him. But surely I am coming soon gives an urgency to that. That we ought to always live expectantly. So it's not just, you know, uh, we'll get to that when we're older. No, we ought to always live expectantly that the life of faith is full of things we don't know. And he says, you know, blessed is the one uh, that the master finds doing uh, what he is supposed to be doing when he returns. And so... Uh, because what, what you see in all of these things is you see these servants uh, that they, they come and they say, you know what, the, the master is delayed. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to beat up my other servants. I'm going to just have whatever pleasure I want now. And what Jesus is saying is if you take the the wide gate, the pleasures of this world now, and that's what you define life by. You will miss the narrow gate. You will miss eternity uh, at, uh, at the banquet. You will miss the eternity uh, that the master ushers in. What was Jesus' beginning of this whole thing? See to it that no one leads you astray. Don't buy the lie of this world that life is found in what you eat, what you drink, what you enjoy. Jesus is saying there is so much more to it. 
So it's not just a life of not knowing but trusting, but it's also a life of waiting and readiness. So uh, in 24, the master is delayed. In 25, the bridegroom is delayed. Okay? Basically, Jesus is saying uh, that he is going to come like a thief in the night. Okay? What does that mean? It means that he's going to come when you don't know it's going to happen, like a thief. You know, the thief doesn't, like, mail you a letter. Hey, I'm going to rob your house at, you know, 2.33 a.m. That's not how thieves work, right? They do it under the cover of night. They, they rob and steal so that you are surprised when it happens, and that's what Jesus' point is. Not that he's a thief. His point is that he is going to come at a time and in a way that you and I are unaware. Our world is unaware. And so when everybody says, oh, Jesus is coming on this date, you can kind of block that off as completely untrue. Because Jesus says the exact opposite. You ain't going to know. Be watching. Be ready. Live expectantly. I am coming back. Surely I'm coming. Surely I'm coming. But yet you won't know when it happens. That's a bizarre place to live, right? Expectantly waiting for something that we don't know when it's going to occur. And yet God says to live on the edge of your seat waiting. A life of waiting and readiness. You know, verse 10 of chapter 25. uh, Those who were ready, the bridesmaids that were ready... They went in with him, with the bridegroom, to the wedding banquet. It was the ones who were ready. And so what is the, uh, what's the command at the end of 25, or really at the passage we read, verse 13? It's watch, therefore. That same word watch is used uh, to start our, the, the passage that we read in verse 42. Watch. Uh, stay awake, to basically to watch is to be alert or to be awake, to be watching. Uh, and, and it's the same Greek word. And we, we actually looked at this a little bit about a year ago when I returned from sabbatical. Uh, and I spent a lot of time in Colossians 4, you know, continue steadfastly in prayer. We did that prayer, praying life seminar, and we talked a lot about prayer. But what's the nature of prayer? is being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That, yes, prayer is asking the Father for things and laying our heart out, but, but it's also us, eyes wide open to what is God doing and how is he unfolding his plan. And that is the command that Jesus gives us. I'm coming back, you don't know when, but watch. And see my plan unfold. It's interesting that back in Revelation 3, this very, this very similar concept shows up. And I think it's very pertinent to us as well. Uh, so the angel of the church in Sardis write this. That the words of him who has seven spirits, uh, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you're dead. Wake up. 
and strengthen what remains and, uh, and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Verse 3 is sobering. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. If you want to know, like, one thing to take away from this sermon, wake up. Are you, what a phrase, are you uh, having the reputation of being alive, yet you're dead? Jesus says, wake up. What are you ready with? What are you living for? You know, because the, the, the notion of waiting can often be very difficult. You know, like, how, what does it mean to live expectantly? What does it mean to live waiting? Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and so the idea of waiting for eternity and waiting for the return of Christ, that can somehow be a little abstract. But what is and how does the characteristic of waiting or willingness to wait show up in our lives? So let's refer back to the Praying Life seminar that we went through together. If you've read A Praying Life, uh, you, this may be familiar. What are the day-to-day -day symptoms of a waiting heart? So, so the big picture is wait for the return of Christ. The day-to-day -day picture is we wait every day with eyes wide open, expectant to see what God's at work doing. And this chart comes out of a praying life. And um, it, it's the idea of being in the story of God. Whoops, that's over this way, right? Being in the story of God versus not being in the story of God, right? And so if you live without story or, or without watching of what God's doing, this is the column that might depict how you feel, right? Bitter, angry, aimless, cynical, controlling, helpless, or hopeless, probably helpless too, thankless and blaming. So if any of those things are true of you in your life, you may be one who is not living expectantly eyes wide open of how is God going to unfold his plan in your life, let alone his return. Like, how is he going to unfold tomorrow? Let's learn how to do that, and that might teach us how to wait for eternity. Does that make sense? But what does the idea of waiting and expectant biblical waiting look like is to wait for God. And that's really annoying to us, right? No, I want it now. But it's that delayed gratification that is true in our world. Why? Because it's consistent with the word of God. And it's true of the life of faith. We watch what God is going to do when he does something. We're filled with wonder. Rather than, yeah, that would have happened anyway. We see God's hand all over it. We're praying and submitting and hoping and thankful and repenting when we find ourselves out of this. It's just the idea of us learning how to live in the story of God. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about bridesmaids who go to a wedding banquet. And, and the context of this is that the bridegroom would come from his house, and he would come to his bride's house. Well, all the bridesmaids are ready with their lamps. Why are they ready for their lamps? Because the bridegroom would come to the house, uh, they, he would come into the house, but then they would process back to his house for a huge banquet. And guess who lit the way, because he would often come at night, were the bridesmaids. And so they needed oil for their lamps. 
They needed oil to light the way back to the bridegroom's house for the banquet. And so it was the height of disrespect for them to not have enough oil. And so the idea of readiness that Jesus is talking about, he's using from a, from a, a picture of the vernacular of that day. These people understood what was going on. That these bridesmaids weren't ready. And he's saying, people of God, be ready and watching and waiting for Jesus' return. Now let me submit something to you. How do you become ready just at the starting point? How do you become or even begin to be ready? Because you can take some of this and maybe uh, come to a conclusion that's not biblical. The sense where we're going to make ourselves better and better and better and better and then we're going to become ready for the return of Jesus. To be ready for the return of Jesus is, the, is basically all three songs that we've sung already. Go back and look at the lyrics today. Because I lift my hands up in praise, but I lay my life down. My whole life is for you. I submit my surrender, my whole life to you. In a sense, it's not go and get better. It is lay your life down, humble yourself before the Lord Say, I can't save myself. I need a savior. Only you can. My sin deserves the wrath of God, but Jesus, you died for my sins. That's what this table is. How do you become ready, or even at the beginning point, is to humble yourself before the living God. That you need a savior, and you surrender your life to King Jesus. Just what Todd started with when we opened our service. That's how you become ready. And then you live in that surrender every other day of your life, watching and waiting for that. Because eternity is, ex- or eternity is worth it. It exceeds the struggle. Because we don't have time to unpack what's going on in the beginning of 24. But Jesus basically says that... These uh, that you will be delivered up to tribulation. At times, uh, some of you may be put to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. But the one who endures will be saved. So the context of waiting is suffering. But the context of glory is that he sets all of his possessions over you and you get to go into the wedding feast as opposed to weeping and gnashing of teeth because there is a sobering reality that while they were gone going to buy this is the the bridesmaids the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in to the wedding feast and the door was shut there will be a day when the door of heaven is shut jesus doesn't mince his words He doesn't soften it to make uh, us in, in America feel better. There will be a day when the doors of the kingdom of God are shut. Do you know for certain that you are a member, a part of the kingdom of God? Or will you be outside the shut door? If you don't know that, the answer to that question, would you please 
Come talk to me, one of the friends that you know that know the Lord, uh, one of the elders here. We would love to introduce you to the living God. Because our natural move is towards the good things of this life, to chase after what the evil servant did. Ah, my master's delaying, I'm going to live it up. Insulate our lives from struggle and harm, chase, fast, chase after pleasure now, and it might as well make life easier and even as easy as it could be. Yet in that move of the heart, if that's what you're chasing, you do not pursue God because you've set your life up to not need anything. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Are you a part of the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Father, I ask that uh, you would be in our midst. God, teach us what it is to wait and live expectantly. God, thank you for the promise of the gospel that even though we may struggle and suffer now, there is glory that awaits, a wedding feast that we are put over all of your possessions and creation. Father, it's just sobering and humbling God, I pray that you would cause us to live as expectant, ready people for your return. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.